Good morning, Connection Point Church. How are you doing? All right. First of all, uh, I just got to give you all kudos because I am thoroughly impressed. I've spent the last four weeks trying to get you to move up front. And today there was a rush, so much so that I had uh, not blocked anything off for my family because I take it for granted that y'all are actually, we're going to come up here. So uh, I'm giving away two jars of salsa. Sabrina is going to get one right there. And Britt, you can take one right there as well. And uh, I mean, all y'all front rowers, Mike, I'm going to get y'all all something, okay? And everyone else, I'm impressed, okay? Now this kind of happened from, we had a problem in that it was everybody was at the back and I thought, you know what, if, there, if you got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. That was kind of my, my thinking in this, but that kind of leads in uh, to, by the way, I still owe my wife some salsa. So babe, you're still gonna get your salsa even though she's been put back on the back row. I know it's not good. It's not good. Pray for my family. It's not good. Now, uh, a lot of times for this, I was thinking about the solution, but today I do want to talk to you about something different. I want to talk, about you, uh, talk to you about problems that we cannot solve, things that we cannot take care of. And so that's where we're going today. And as we were uh, prepping this, I thought, you know what, in Genesis chapter 16, we have learned a lot about how we should be thinking. We've kind of learned what we call a worldview. And so if you've been a part of this journey in Genesis that we started at the beginning of the year, we're actually gonna take another whole year. At the end of 2022, we will have gone through the entire book of Genesis. And I just wanna remind us how much of, uh, I think, an impact this series has been and how crucial it is for you to just have a grasp of this book. Now, we started off in Genesis chapter one, and, and we learned in the first week of this series, it was a series called, uh, what was the series called? The Story of Us. Um, look at Joey Altan over there. It's good to have you. <laughs> um, but it was one of the things that we learned in the first week is that the Bible isn't anti-science, the Bible isn't this, but that God is setting us up. Um, everything in Genesis one is about God saying, listen, I am the only God. I am the creator of all things. I'm the only God. And so we learned a lot of things and challenged a lot of ideas we might have about the Bible. And as we went through that first series of Genesis chapter 11, we really tried to make a case that the way we should think about the world is that God created and that we had this fall. We had this, this bad decision that, that just unfolded all out and that the, the root of all the problems come with our decisions to rebel against. God and that God is the solution. That's kind of what was laid out in the first 11 chapters. And then we're introduced to this guy, Abram, and, and he's going to become Abraham. And he's the wanderer. He's wandering this promised land. He went to a place that he didn't know. He went to a new place. And, and we've learned a lot of things about how God deals with people. And we've seen Abram, by the way, is, is a type like you and, and he kind of a type for a Christ follower, or a type for a godly person. You shouldn't do necessarily what he does. I would never say, hey, y'all try to act like me. But what you should do is you should try to watch in this story of Abram of how God interacts and how God deals with him. Because as he rides the ups and downs and he is a man of faith, you're going to see how God deals with him. And last week, we learned a key thing about Abram. We learned that he was, his faith was credited as righteousness. In other words, before there was ever a law, before there were ever rules given, what we learned is that God is setting up this idea that it is about our faith in him to do what he says he's going to do. And that faith 
and it was proven in a covenant. We went over it last week. It is what we call the gospel. The gospel is this idea that if we have faith in God, that he will make us righteous. It will be his righteousness. And so we're going to carry on with this idea this week. And we're going to see that sometimes there are, are problems that we try to solve that only God can solve. Now, I think the best example, just to kind of start us off, um, comes through a problem that I found out about, I heard about this like 20, 30 years ago, you might have too, but there was a problem in the state of Washington about 30 years ago that people started figuring out, and that is that the salmon could not swim upstream anymore, that there were so many dams and bridges and, and obstacles that the, the salmon in the state of Washington could not go upstream. In other words, there was this big problem that was being caused. And what I love about human ingenuity is that they began to just brainstorm. And I like to think guys sat around a, and, and ladies, sat around a, a table and thought, let's figure out the solution to how these salmon, because it's killing the environment. And, and who knows if we lose the salmon, we lose the bears. And they had this whole like theory, we can't let the salmon not get upstream. And so the first thing they tried, and this happened for years, is they would actually fish for salmon, put them in a truck, drive them upstream, and let them out upstream. That's what their solution for years. And then they refined it to where they could collect them with nets and all this, and they would drive them, but it cost money. In fact, they had entire companies that all they did was drive, they Ubered salmon, basically, up the river. And then they tried helicopters, they tried all these different brainstorming, and they came to the, the solution that they're using right now, and that is the fish cannon. How many have ever heard of the fish cannon? Okay, the fish cannon started off by, uh, there was a guy, and, and I wrote down his name just so, his, his name is Vince Bryan III. He started a company called Woosh. And what Woosh does is it creates fish cannons. And the fish cannon started off where you would have to fish for the fish, and then you would put them in the cannon, and it would shoot them over the dam. And then they would be in the next place. And then they would swim upstream and they'd get to the dam. I guess they'd hit the dam and then they would pick him up, put him in the fish can and shoot him over into the next one. And now it's refined to where you don't even have to have a guy there. They swim up and they get sucked into this vacuum. They get shot over. You can go on YouTube and watch the video of it. But what fascinates me about the fish cannon, what fascinates me about this is that, you know, at least I hope, I hope that at some point, somebody in these meetings said, you know what, if it's getting to the point where we need a fish cannon, maybe we should rethink, do we really need that many dams? Do we really need that many, that many bridges and obstacles if the, if the entire environment is now resting on the power working and the fish cannons working and all this? At some point, did somebody raise their hand and say, hey, maybe we're not the solution, maybe we're the problem. But I'm guessing, even if somebody raised that, I bet they were forced out pretty quick because the, the truth is that you and I have this great ability to see ourselves as the solution, not the problems, even when you can look and obviously say, listen, we caused that problem. Those dams didn't build themselves, right? Now, when we get into how we relate to God, I would argue that many of us have this same thinking. How many of us have ever shaken our fist and said, God, why'd you do this to me? 
and it's a situation. God, you know, how could this, how could you let this happen to me? And we shake our fist at God as if he is the enemy, as if he's done something. And then we begin to say, you know what, I guess I'm just going to have to figure out we're in a bad financial situation or maybe our, our marriage or our kids. And we're going through some situation and, and our response is, I got to figure out what I'm going to do here. God, why, why, why did you do this to me? And, and our reaction is to say, we've got to fix it. We've got to be the solution. And if we're the solution, it leaves a, a vacuum at the problem, right? And a lot of times we put God into that, that, that vacuum. God must have done this to me. So today I really want to challenge our thinking on a lot of the problems or struggles that you might be going through. A lot of the things that you might be wrestling with right now of God, God, I, I don't know how you let this happen to me, but I'm, I'm trying to fix it and it's just not working because there are some problems you face that only God can solve. And the more and more you put yourself as the solution, the more and more you'll miss the only solution. And that is that God can solve some things you can. And the more and more you don't see yourself as culpable, you don't see yourself as the problem, you're going to see yourself as the solution. So we're going to continue in Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 16 today. And I want you to see this pattern play out. This is a pattern that all of us have seen before in our own lives. And that is there's going to be a problem and you're going to see it filled very quickly with some assumptions. Genesis 16, it's um, Sarah is Abram's wife. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, look, it explained it right after I did, has borne no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Now, how do you think she got an Egyptian servant, by the way? If you remember, they went to, uh, trying to solve their own problem. They went to, there was a famine. They went to Egypt and uh, Abram did something that I'm sure all of us would do, right? He thought, you know, this is dangerous. I'm going to tell Pharaoh that that's not my wife, that that's my sister. And he basically gave away his wife to the Pharaoh. And then the Pharaoh said, hey, I'll give you whatever you want for your wife. And he gave a lot, what we call a dowry. He gave her a lot of stuff. Abram got rich because he got connected to Pharaoh through his wife, giving his wife away. When Pharaoh figured it out, he sent him away and he let him keep the dowry. So this Hagar is just a result already of God redeeming a situation that they tried to do themselves and did not fix, but God redeemed it. And so now there's this, this servant, Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, behold, behold now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Who's the problem? According to Sarah, the Lord has done, God has done this to me. Go into my servant, and that's a euphemism, by the way, that he may, that, that it may, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. Now the Hebrew says may be built up. The idea here is that uh, if a servant had, uh, if a husband went into his wife's servant, that she then, that child would be the, the husband's servant or the her husband's child. And so he could have a child this way, but it would be kind of Sarah's child. But there would always be that kind of wink, wink. We would know where it came from, okay? Um, one thing I want to say about this though, is this was culturally, this was what you did when you struggled with infertility at this time. This was not considered a, a bad thing. This was considered how you deal with infertility. But the interesting thing about this command that she gives to her husband, go into my servant and, and have a child with her, the interesting thing about this is that you can already see that God is the problem in this and she has the solution. Hey, I got the solution. We'll do what, what everyone else does in this solution. We'll just go have a child. You'll have a child with a woman who can conceive. 
And, and there's going to be a, a theme. You're going to see barrenness is something that uh, infertility is something that a lot of people in the Bible struggle with, and some handle it different than others. We know the prophet Samuel, his, he was born from a mother who, who for years struggled with infertility, struggled with barrenness. But there's one thing that happens in 1 Samuel chapter 1. It says this. It says, she continued praying before the Lord. In fact, Hannah, the prophet Samuel's mother, we would later see, is she saw God as the solution. She saw God as the only solution to this problem. And so she went every single day and would go to the temple and pray that God would be the solution. But here we have Sarah who has said, God is the problem, therefore I'm going to find the solution. And she comes up with what she thinks is a great solution. Hey, I'm gonna let another woman sleep with my husband and that child. That will be this promise that God has fulfilled. You know, God has, has said we're gonna be the, the um, Abram's gonna be the father of many nations. This will keep that going. And so, hey, I, God, don't worry. I figured it out. That's what Sarah's thinking. I figured this out, God. I'm gonna be able to make this happen. Now, just so you understand culturally acceptable. This is not the Bible on the surface doesn't even seem to condemn this, but this is actually something that is against God. God has already made a command. The first command we see in the Bible is that you are going to be fruitful and multiply, that a man should leave his father and mother and that they should unite and be one flesh. This one flesh principle is the foundation for marriages. Okay. And so whether or not it's culturally acceptable, we need to understand that this is not acceptable by God, that one flesh means one man and one woman. And, and, and Abram's about to break that, okay? Abram is about to break that and he knows he's about to break that. But the way that we know this is against God is actually a little more subtle, but because we've gone all the way through Genesis, I hope you begin to see this. There's actually a pattern that we have seen in Genesis, and if you've read through the entire Bible, you'll under, begin to understand, you know what, the, this book is a lot more astute, it's a lot more uh, nuanced than what most of us give it credit for. You see, there's a pattern in how God talks about sin or the fall in the book of Genesis. And so I wanna read this next uh, phrase, I'm gonna highlight some words, but I wanna see if you recognize this pattern. First of all, it starts with, Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. He listened to his wife, have you heard that before? And then it says, after he had lived there for 10 years in the land of Canaan, which by the way, you remember the promise was that he's going to get this land of Canaan. So some people could have looked at 10 years and thought, man, the first part of this promise has already come true. Sarah does not. She says, man, we've been waiting 10 years. She doesn't see that this is already fulfilled. She could have been anticipating, man, God's about to do the next part because he, he's already given us the land. But listen to this pattern. Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, the husband, her husband as a wife. And when he went into Hagar, she conceived. And when she saw, that is uh, when uh, Sarah saw that she had conceived, she looked on with contempt of her mistress. Now, have you ever heard that little pattern there? Let me highlight some words again. Abram's wife took and gave and saw. If you'll remember, we saw this in Adam and Eve. This is a story of a fall. And to the author writing this, this is as clear as crystal. You should see that this is not Abram being, wow, let's fix this solution. This is God, or this is God's word describing a story of a fall. She took an apple or she took a fruit and she gave it and she saw, hey, this is good. She, she, in other words, she declared this is good when God said it was not good. And now we see the same pattern 
And so this is a story of a fall of somebody saying, you know what, I see, I think this is good. I, think, I don't care what God's word said, I think this is good. And so she's making a decision. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked upon, her, uh, she looked upon contempt on her, mes- her mistress. She looks and sees that, you know what, it's shocking. Hagar has a child and smiles when she has her child or when she get, learns she's conceived. And just that smile is enough for Sarah to say, you know what, this was a bad idea. In fact, I shouldn't have done this because look, look, at, look, she's got that look in her eye and all of a sudden she's reading in. None of you women could relate. You would never uh, just assume the worst of, uh, of another woman. Uh, I don't know why I'm picking on women today. Guys do the same thing, but she's filling in these gaps, but this is what I want you to see. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me, done to me be on you. I gave my servant to, you, to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked upon me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do as you please. And Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled. So we see this response of Abram, who Sarah says, Listen, this is your fault. Yeah, it was my idea, but you did it. You shouldn't have done it. And so God's against you. God should be against you. May God judge you. You're in this. And then Abram does the same thing Adam. He's just, whoa, hey, do whatever you think. Hands off, it's not my fault. I didn't know this was, I was just trying to, to be a good husband. You're right. he's, he's playing this off and, and he's just as culpable as she is. And so now you have Hagar, who's kind of the innocent victim in this. She is, she is being treated harshly and she flees away. And then you've got Sarah now that has basically wrecked everything. And so just to reset where we are right now in this story, the end of scene one, okay, the end of the first part, and it is utter chaos. You have Abram who has not only now has a, uh, a rift between him and his wife, he's lost his only son. She, he, uh, the son he's about to have has fleed along with uh, Sarah has lost a, a great help, a great maid, a great uh, servant, and she's also, uh, she is now further from God than she was before this. And now we have Hagar who's lost her home. She's lost, you know, all hope, and she's been driven out into the wilderness. So by this one decision that, you know what, I'm, even though God has promised me things, even though God said he's going to do this, I'm going to take care of this, we see that this one decision has led to a plethora of decisions for, that have just caused chaos in this situation. Now, as we go on, we're gonna see that God does what God does. And again, when we look at at all of the problems here, they were all caused simply by Abram allowing his wife, by Sarah deciding that she is going to make her own way and and not trust in God. Her, Her patience filled in the gaps with God must be the enemy, therefore I must be the solution. But God meets her in the wilderness. It says the angel of the Lord, this is technically means messenger of the Lord. There's a lot of people who think this may be a, an incarnation of the risen Christ or, you know, the pre-incarnate Christ. All of these things, I don't know. We're going to go with what the text says. It says a messenger of the Lord. Now, clearly you're going to see that Hagar thinks this is God himself in some way. At least the words are, are directly from God. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness, a spring on the way to Shur. Now, Shur is a wilderness on the way to, uh, to Egypt. She's going back home. She basically has no place to go, so she's going to see if she can cross the wilderness and make it back home. And Hagar said, and you've heard this pattern before as well, 
He said to Hagar, the servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? It's interesting that Hagar has kind of fleed this bad situation and she encounters for the first time probably Yahweh, the, the God of Abram. And for the first time, she, she's heard about him, but the only real exposure she has is from Sarah and Abram. So her, she may not be too favorable, favorable when she hears about Yahweh before this, right? But now she has an encounter with him, okay? And just as we've seen in Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 4, God asks a question that he already knows the answer to. Remember, he goes to, to Adam, Adam, where are you? And he already knew where he was. He walked right up to him. He goes to, to Cain, Cain, where is your brother? Cain famously says, am I my brother's keeper? He knows exactly where he is. He's in the ground. So he asks a question, but Hagar's response is a stark contrast to what we've seen in the previous examples. It says, she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. So in other words, she confesses to the, this, this person who, who just addresses her by name, doesn't even really introduce himself, she confesses, listen, I'm running away. I'm running away from my mistress. And she confides in the trust in Yahweh, trust in God, the God of Abram. And that shows us she sees God is the solution. He didn't cause this problem. It'd be easy for us to say, God, why? I mean, if anyone could say in the story, God, why have you done this? It would be Hagar, but instead of Hagar saying, God, why have you done this? Why did you put me in this family? Why did you make me you know, ever leave Egypt? Why did you do this to me? Instead, we see her saying, you know what? I'm going to confess. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm running away. I'm in a tough spot. I'm running away. And so she, she confesses and her confession shows us she's confessing because she sees God is the solution, not the problem. Of course, I can tell God what's going on in my life. I'm fleeing because uh, from my mistress, Sarah, and the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. How many of you think that's really the advice you would want to hear if you were a slave, if you were a servant? In fact, we, we see this in the New Testament. Sim similar advice is given from Paul to Onesimus, and it's a very hard thing. How, you don't know how that's going to go. The angel of the Lord says, return. That word return for us as Christ followers, when anytime, you conf anytime you confess, there's always going to be a return, a repentance, a turn the other way. And that's what she is told to do is listen, go back the way you came. Go back, turn directions. You need to listen to me and you need to change directions. That's what this angel, this messenger is saying. The angel of the Lord said, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, and, and, and this is a pattern you'll see again, by the way, hint, hint, a lot of foreshadowing. Behold, you are pregnant and a son shall, and, and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to you in your affliction. He, he gives her this, this pronouncement of a birth and this is what you're going to name him. We'll hear this again in the New Testament. And the name is very important. Ishmael is a Hebrew name. Now, if you've ever heard the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, that's the most important or the most uh, famous scripture for a Hebrew, um, for, I mean, for any Jewish person today, Shema or Shema in, in Hebrew, here. And so El is the word for God. And so Ish, Ishmael is God hears. That's what that word means. 
And so that tells us that she's been praying, she's been talking, she's been asking God, and that's a key point of this. This whole time she's been praying to God because he's been the solution. And so she names the child of this promise, Ishmael, God hears. Now, she's gonna get a little bit of uh, some unsettling news. They're going to give a prophecy on this child. And this prophecy doesn't mean it has to happen this way, but it's going to happen this way, basically. And there's a difference. I'll explain it some other time. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. How many of you would describe your children as that? Don't, don't raise your hand. Just kidding. And, and by the way, we would not say donkey. That's, there were actually wild donkey in the wilderness there. And so we would say wild animal. And basically what it's saying is, listen, you're a slave, but your, your son is not going to be a slave. Your son is going to be a, a, like a wild animal. He's going to be able to go wherever he wants, what, do whatever he does. Now, that's not all good news because his hand is against everyone and everyone's hand is against him. And he shall dwell over his kins, all his kinsmen, against all his kinsmen. So basically what it's saying is, listen, I'm grafting you into this promise. Now, it's not the same promise. But you also are now going to have a lineage that's going to expand out anywhere. Because of your faith, because she decided she was going to trust God, she was going to confess and obey because of this, she's now grafted into this promise. She is just a, a slave girl, but now her son is going to be free. And listen, it's going to be hard. In fact, if you uh, go to Israel, um, you'll, you'll meet Bedouins. Bedouins would be, um, would, would be part of the fulfillment of this promise. And these are, are people that live out in the wilderness. They still are nomadic to this day, and they're hard to deal with. We dealt with some of them. In fact, if you have a guide in Israel, your guide will deal with a lot of the Bedouins because they're a hard people to deal with, okay? But not just them. There's going to be nations that are going to come from this promise, that's been grafted in, that's being allowed. And it's not the same promise. God's still gonna fulfill what he said to, to Abram. But now all of a sudden we see somebody else, just because of their faith, gets, gets to taste this promise. So she called the name of the Lord. You are the God of seeing. This was a woman who felt unseen. And now she says, you are the, the God of seeing. For she said, truly I have seen him who looks after me. This is also interesting because she thinks she's seen God. And we've already, or we're going to learn very quickly that, that most people who see God don't walk away from that experience. But she has this, this, this just encounter where she says, you know what? I think I saw God and, and I'm still alive. I'm still here. Not only that, but I've seen him see me. God's the solution for Hagar. Therefore, this was called Bir Lahai Roy, and it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore, a son, um, bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now, the last thing I want you to see is when she returns home, she has to tell them a story of, listen, here's why I'm home. I'm home because I met God. I met Yahweh. I met your God. And he said, I'm a part of this promise too. Not only am I a part of this promise, he's going to give me this child, and we're going to call this child God Hears because God heard my prayers. To which Sarah, who had not been praying, she had been conniving on how she's going to fix this, would probably said there's no way. But we know God protected Hagar because instead of being punished, instead of being killed, instead we see the name of the child whom Abram would have decided the name of the child. Only the father would decide the name. And he decides, you know what? I'm going to believe your story. Not only do I believe the story, we're going to name this child Ishmael. And so Ishmael is this fulfilled, kind of fulfilled promise of Hagar's faithfulness. Grafted into this promise, it's a different promise, but gonna get the same, now the same uh, uh, blessings are gonna be on Hagar and her, her family. And now you have this interesting dynamic to where every single time that Sarah 
thinks about this moment, about how she, she didn't go to God as a solution. God was the problem, but now she sees this child. And every time she has to call him to dinner, what's she going to be saying? God hears. Ishmael, God hears. There's an interesting dichotomy of a woman with faith and a woman without faith. And who we should have faith, the one who has this promise on her, that is Sarah, she doesn't believe. She doesn't believe God's the solution. She believes God's the promise. And so she tries her own way. And then you have Hagar. And Hagar, she has no reason to believe God's the solution, but she trusts him anyway. She goes back where God says to go. She listens. She, she confesses. She returns on the word of God. And she's grafted into this promise. There's two things I, I wanted to walk away with this. The first thing is this. And there's a lot of ways, hopefully, that you're already seeing you can apply this. But as I was uh, thinking about this, the first thing I want you to see is that godly faith embraces patience. Godly faith embraces patience. Patience is faith, okay? And there's, a, there's a quote by John Calvin, and he, and he said, basically, if you were to, to immediately get whatever you ask for, that's not faith. Anytime we receive a promise, we should always expect a waiting because that's the faith. Godly faith embraces patience. If Sarah would have said, you know what, I've seen the first part, we've been here for 10 years, so I'm gonna trust that God's gonna also fulfill the rest of this. She would have seen that patience. That patience is where we fill in the gap and say God is the solution. Patience and waiting, and while we're waiting, we're praying and we're trusting. It hadn't happened yet. I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this situation. I don't know how I'm gonna fix this, but I know this, I'm probably the problem, God's probably the solution. And so when we are patient, what we are, are doing is we are trusting that God is the solution, not the problem. Patience is a key virtue in our faith. And so I just wanted to challenge you right now in whatever you're, you're dealing with that you're trying to think, how am I gonna fix this? How am I gonna fix this? And first thing I would say, hey, listen, it may be something you can bribe some people with salsa and, and maybe you can fix it, but, but there's a good chance it's a problem bigger than this. And if your marriage is struggling or if your relationship with your kids or your parents or whoever is, is struggling, there's a chance you're as much of the problem. And maybe God changing your heart is the solution. God might be the solution to that. Maybe if your finances have always just been week to week and struggling and struggling, you never seem to have enough. It could be that trusting God might be more of a solution. And it could be that you're more of the problem. And just having that, 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 that awareness to say, you know what, I'm going to be patient and I'm going to begin trusting God in this situation. I think for many of us, if we would just stop there and just ask God, where am I? Where am I trying to be the solution and putting you as the problem instead of filling in the gaps and saying, God, where am I causing this? Where could you step in? We've already seen God redeem situations. He, he redeemed the situation that Abram screwed up in Egypt and he gave away his wife. And then we now have, we've seen his wife gave away her husband, same situation, and God is gonna redeem this as well. So we see that when we are patient with a God problem, God will provide the solution. Now there's a, another thing I want you to see from this. And this is probably the most important thing, and that is this, the godly faith protects us when we sin. Godly faith protects us 
from our sins. And, and, and then the reason you need to know this is because this is more of last week. This, you need to see that before there was ever a law given, before there was ever, hey, hey, you need to follow these rules. And, and in our mind, we twisted this to the God can't love me unless I, unless I follow the rules or God's mad at me, so, so I'm not gonna receive a blessing. You need to see that trusting God protects us from our sins. Abram and Sarah now, have had these moments of doubt, these moments where they did not trust God, and yet God still let them have their promise. He still is gonna fulfill his promise. They did not get disqualified, even when they had not only an atrocious lack of faith, but they also broke the only real commandment, the only real covenant that God had given them before this was this one flesh. And they, and they, they did something that most of us, if that were to happen nowadays, if you found out that, that somebody had done what Abram just did, you would think that's horrible. God would never forget this. But instead we see God holds on to this promise because when we trust God, our faith protects us from sins. Now, the apostle Paul is going to actually expand this. I want to just real quick read to you in Galatians chapter four. And in, in this story of Abram, when you read the New Testament, you have to know the story of Abram because Romans chapter four is, is about this story. Paul in Galatians chapter four, I'm going to put this on the screen. I want you to see what Paul says. It says, for it is written that Abraham, and by the way, next week he'll be called Abraham, not Abram. So Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Okay. Go to the next verse. It says, but the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh. What is this saying? Is that the reason Ishmael was there was because Sarah did not trust. It was Sarah. And the whole reason we have the first son, Ishmael, is because Sarah didn't trust. She tried to do it herself. While the son of the free woman, that's Sarah, was born through the promise. So, so we have two sons. One was when Sarah didn't trust God. And one was when she trusted God. Keep going. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. This is important. He's going to use this as a lesson that's going to go through everything in your life. He's saying, just knowing this story, these women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai. In other words, at Paul's time, people had taken the, the, the law that's given the Ten Commandments, and they had twisted that into, this is what you must do for God to love you, instead of this is a way that we live out our faith. Okay? But people now in Paul's time said, listen, if you want to be good with God, just do this list of rules. Do this list of rules. Do it yourself. Paul says that's the same thing that Sarah did when she told Abram to go in to her servant, uh, Hagar. Bearing ch um, children for slavery, she is Hagar. Now go to verse 31. So brothers, we are not children of slaves, but children of free women. This is what he's saying. When we are Christians, when we are Christ followers, we are like Sarah patiently waiting for God to do something she could not do. We are like Sarah understanding that, hey, I made a mistake and tried to do it myself, but now I'm going to patiently wait for God because I got good news. Sarah eventually is going to be redeemed in this story as well. And it's going to be through her faith in God to fulfill his promise. And so Paul says, we need to understand when we are Christ's followers, it is not about, there are two ways that you can get to God. You can try to reach and reach and reach as high as you can and see if you can climb up to God or you can let God come to you. That's what Paul is saying. And that's exactly what faith in Jesus is. It's us saying, I could never be good enough. I could never do enough to climb to God. Therefore, I'm going to receive the promise that God will redeem this. And Jesus Christ came down to this earth, lived the sinful, sinless life, died on a cross on behalf of your sins, rose from the dead, proving that he was God, the only one who could fulfill this. 
So when we read this story of Sarah and Hagar, we have two examples of how we live our lives in relation to God. One of them, you try to solve yourself and the other one God solves for you. We are people of faith. So whatever you're struggling with, if you have a sin that you think is irredeemable, I wanna let you know, trying harder to sin less is not gonna work for you. If you have a problem that maybe you think, whether it's a financial problem or maybe your kids, and you think, you know what, if I can just parent harder, if I can just, you know, wife harder or, or dad harder or, or, or husband harder, if I can just do more, I'll solve this. I'll tell you, that is not what God wants from us. He doesn't want you to be exhausted trying to be better and better. God wants you to live free. God wants you to trust in him to fulfill his promise. This is the story in Genesis through Revelation. Jesus Christ is the fulfilled promise and we receive him through faith. Nothing that we do. So as I close here, I just want to challenge you. Maybe it's right now. Maybe you think you're not good enough. Maybe you think God is mad at you. Maybe you've got something that's just weighing on you so much. You think I'm never going to fix this. I just want to give you a word of encouragement. You don't have to fix it. God has already promised a way, and that's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that even in Genesis, we see the gospel. That even before you ever gave us rules to follow, you gave us a relationship to embrace. Lord, I, I, I thank you so much that everyone who's sitting here today, whether it's a a lack of patience where we're thinking, how can I solve this problem? How can I solve this relationship? And instead of us walking away saying, you know what, I'm just gonna be better. I'm gonna try harder. Lord, I pray you free some of us today. Maybe some of us feel as if we're not good enough. Maybe we feel as if we've already let our kids down. We've already let our, our spouse down. We've already let our parents down. We've already let our teachers and our bosses and everyone down. I can never fix this. Lord, I pray you'll speak to that person right now. You love us so much, you're like seeing Hagar in the wilderness. She didn't have to go find you, you found her. Lord, I thank you that we are seen. I thank you that we are heard by a God with infinite love for us. Lord, you are holy. You cannot sin and you cannot sin against us. You are never the problem, you are always our solution. Lord, give us the faith to trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.